Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. Amen. I'm thankful for every soul that God has brought in here to this house today, and I'm thankful for every soul that's listening online. Welcome from SoundCloud and welcome from YouTube. It's a pleasure to be able to stand before you today and teach you the Word of God. I'm hoping that by God's grace, I'm able to teach you something today, something new maybe, something you've never known from the Lord. Maybe, maybe not. Either way, thank you for tuning in, and God bless everybody. I love you guys, and welcome, welcome, welcome. So I'm going to pray, kick off our service, like the official prayer that kicks off our service, and then we'll get into our message. So if you guys want to join me in our last word of prayer, we like to pray here at Gospel Saving Church. We, we know that God hears our prayers, so we like to pray at Gospel Saving Church. So join me with another word of prayer, please. Lord, thank you for bringing us all here today. Lord, thank you for your grace and thank you for your mercy, Lord God, that are always there, Lord. They're always there for us. They're always there. Lord, you're reaching out to every one of us, Lord God. You're reaching out. Lord, I just pray that more would respond to you. Please, Lord, I just keep going after them, Lord. I pray you be tenacious, Lord, and go after the peoples that are out there, Lord God, that are walking away from you or they're not walking with you. Either way, either way, they're walking away from you because you said if you're not for me, you're against me, Lord. So I just pray that they would start being for you, Lord, and not against you. I pray you bless this message, Lord. Bless my lips, Lord. Bless my, my as I speak, my voice. I pray my voice would go forth unto this room and unto the world, Lord God, and I pray that you would change people, Lord God, by your word. Lord, that your word would modify how we live, Lord God, because in your word we find how to live in a perfect way. Lord, and we don't live in a perfect way, Lord God. We're sinners, and Lord, the Bible says that your word is good for rebuke, rebuke and reproof and correction and, 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 you know, and to teach us, Lord. So I pray you teach us, Lord, to teach us how we ought to live. Because naturally in our flesh, Lord, we don't. Naturally, our flesh does not want to live for you. Lord, so I pray that today when we hear your words, Lord God, that your words would cause a reaction in us. That your words would cause us to live differently Lord God, which is really what a Christian is, Lord God, a person that decides to live after the words and the teachings of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for your message that you've given me this week. And Lord, I pray you bless the hearer and that they wouldn't just be hearers, Lord. I pray that they'd also be doers of the word, Lord God. As today's message is primarily, Lord, toward believers, toward those that are yours. Lord, of course, but we discuss everything, Lord. We address everybody, Lord. Please, Lord, I pray you chasten and rebuke us and Teach us what's right and teach us how to live and teach us how we ought to be living for you. Mold us and shape us and form us, Lord God. Sanctify us, Lord, and teach us how we ought to be living for you. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Keep the devil out of this place, Lord, because we know he roams to and fro throughout all the earth. Lord, unfortunately, Lord, until he's locked away and then burning in the lake of fire forever, Lord God, he can go wherever he wants. Lord, I pray you keep him out of our minds right now. I pray we'd just be able to focus on your word and the things that you want to tell us. We love you and we praise you. And we ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Title. Well, I'll give you the address first. Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be toward the end of that chapter. Next week we're going to be starting Matthew chapter 14. This week we're going to be in 53 through 58. We'll go back a couple verses just because of something that happened last week. But primarily verses or chapter 13, Matthew, verses 53. Through 58. I'm going to read them, but I'm going to give you the title of our sermon today first. The title is A Faithful Householder. A Faithful Householder. So if you guys want to read with me, Matthew chapter 13. Again, I'm going to go back up a couple verses real quick, and I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 13, verse 51. So 51 through 58. Join with me and read them with me if you'd like. Matthew 13, now came to, excuse me, <laughs> Jesus said to them, have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes, Lord. Then he said to them, therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. When he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not his mother called Mary? Or is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? 
Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now he, had, now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. As I said, last week we studied Matthew 13, 47 through 52. But as I was setting up for this message this week, the Lord God of all heaven and earth showed me something important. We believe here at Gospel Saving Church that the whole Bible is important, every single solitary verse, without leaving one out, not even one. And although I read Matthew 13, 47 through 52, the Lord God showed me I did not teach verses 51 and 52. So, since the Lord of all creation pointed out to me that I did not teach those two verses, then I think I ought to better listen because after all, I want to follow him and everything he tells me to do. So he told me, look at there, you missed teaching on 51 and 52, so that's why we backed up a couple verses and now we're going to go forward. And, you know, ironically, what's awesome here is that this actually is where I got the title for the sermon today in 51 and 52. And actually, in essence, from 51 to 58, they all run together, believe it or not. I believe here, in case you don't know, of course, we know that the Word of God is inspired by God. Okay? The Bible was written by man, but from God through man. But we know that, in case you don't know, the verses and the chapters were not inspired of God. They were just, man put them in there, and when they wanted to give mankind, you know, people that translated the Bible from language to language, they put those scripture verses and those chapters in there to help us find locations easier. Well, that, that part's not inspired. So I believe in this week that they messed up a little bit. I think that they should have started like a new little heading right there. But it doesn't matter. You know, it, it is what it is. And we move on and we move forward. And we're going to learn what God has to say to us today. So since the Lord, like I said, pointed that out to me, we're going to read it. Uh, I, I say this. Praise God for his heart toward us. Because he, he wants us to know him. Amen. He wants us to know him so much. And in case you guys don't know, the number one way that we know him, period, the number one way that we can know God and know God more, in case we don't know him, is by his word. By the Holy Bible, by his word. David writes in Psalms 138.2, you have magnified your word above all your name. In case you're wondering how important God considers his word, God considers his word even above his very name. And God has lots of names in scripture. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi, and the great I am, and so on and so forth, and the light of the world. And God has lots of names in the whole Bible, What probably like a hundred or more. David says that he holds his word above his name. That's how important he thinks his word is. Now, why is it that important? How is it that important? We can't trust in the way we feel because we're fleshly beings. We can't trust in necessarily the words that come into our minds because the Bible says that that's our heart and our hearts are deceitful and they're wicked above all things. But there's one thing we can trust. We can trust God's word because he gave it through man, through direct revelation, either by his very voice or through the life of Jesus Christ, or through prophets, through men of Old Testament that heard his voice verbally, <clears throat> like the prophet Samuel. He heard God's voice verbally. So we can trust those things that God has written down for us because God put them forth into man. He transmitted them to man in a way that is supernaturally amazing. So we can trust the word of God to lead us and guide us, and that it is God's word instead of versus our minds. Sometimes we think, oh, God spoke to me, and it was something in my mind that I got. And, you know, a lot of times I'll test that because the Bible says you test the spirits, test what you hear from God. And I'll test those things that I think I hear from, in my mind from God, and I find them to be a lie. I find them not to be true. I find them to be something of my own desire. And I have to, we have to be careful not to just fall into, oh, I had that. I believe that God spoke to me you know, in my mind this way. We have to be careful. We have to test the Word of God. But there's one absolute thing that we can trust absolutely, and that's the Word of God. We could trust it. We can trust it, and it's here for us. For, like I said earlier when I was praying, for correction, reproof, and, and instruction, and so on and so forth. And that is the number one way in which God chooses to reveal himself to mankind. 
through the Holy Bible, through His Word. Again, not by your feelings, and not by your emotions, and not by the thoughts that are even in your mind. You need to test those things. But there's one thing you can trust, and that is, again, the Word of God. Now, I'll get off of my little soapbox. Well, actually, I'm still up here. Can't trust our feelings. But without further ado, let's learn our Scripture today. Let's read verses 51 and 52 over again and see what God has to speak to us from His Word directly. Verse 51, chapter 13. Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? They said to Him, Yes, Lord. And He said to them, Therefore every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and things old. As I said earlier, it actually rolls into our main body of text that we're going to study from this week. What is Jesus saying to us in verse 51? Jesus asks his disciples a question. His question to them, have you understood all these things? Talking to his disciples. He's asking them, hey guys, I've taught you a lot just now. He just gave a huge discourse about the kingdom of heaven. As we've talked about earlier in previous weeks, he gave six kingdom of heaven parables. The kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like that. It's like this. It's like that. It's like a, you know, so we've gotten six total kingdom of heaven is like parables throughout all of Matthew chapter 15. So he says to them now, ending questions, the end of his discourse, have you guys understood all these things? And their answer, oh, yes, Lord. Now. Some of those parables, as we looked at, four out of the six, he didn't give us the understanding of them. It's only two out of six, did he? But then we went to the other parts of the Bible, and we kind of were able to correlate some things in the Bible with what those parables talked about, and I think we had a pretty good understanding, at least of one of the deeper spiritual meanings. Did the disciples understand every single thing that he said and every supernatural depth of thing that he said? Absolutely. Oh, probably not. You know, they probably got it, you know, had a really, really, really good understanding of them. You know, because after all, Christ taught them, and he taught them some reasons, and he taught them some deeper spiritual meanings. And then, you know, they were with them for three and a half years, off and on. So they probably had a great grasp of them, but probably not a total grasp of them. You know, and God showed it to me this way. You think to yourself, they said, yes, Lord, and did they really understand everything? Well, probably not. But did they have a pretty good grasp? Yes. Well, think, well, then how could we trust, you know, if they really didn't understand completely or 100%? Well, think about it. I'm sure a lot of people out there that have listened have driven cars before, maybe ridden motorcycles before. So you take your key and you put your key in the ignition and you start it up and you drive. Do you know every single solitary thing that there is about how a car runs before you put your key in the ignition and you start that car and you drive it? Well, absolutely not. There's a whole lot of inner workings to that car that you have no idea of, but you go ahead and you put your key, you do what you can, and that's kind of like the disciples here. They understood a level, you know, like we understood a level, and as I read the Bible, I've been reading the Bible for like 14 or 15 years. Every time I read it, God shows me something new. I'm sure as the disciples lived their lives, as they lived on, they pushed on in the faith that God showed them new things to what he told them all the time too. But for now, yes, Lord, they understood the basics and they were taught by Christ, so they had a really good understanding of those things that he said. Verse 52, their answer, they said, yes, Lord. First, verse 52, then he said to them, therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. What is he saying? Every scribe, or you could say every person, any person all over the world that has a Bible, or back then that heard Jesus, or that heard the stories of the disciples before it was even written down, before it became on manuscript form, because it was verbal for a while. Every person that's understood these things, that's been taught by Christ himself concerning the kingdom of heaven is now like a householder. Everybody that's been taught about the kingdom of heaven by Jesus is like a householder. What is a householder? What is Jesus saying? Householder. I don't understand that term. We don't even use that term in our modern vernacular now in this world today. A householder, in case you don't know, is the master of a house. A householder is an owner of a house. So in the context of this section of scripture here, he says you are now like householders. What is he saying? He's saying it makes anyone, he's given them and us too, the knowledge that the, the house is the whole, 
In this context, the house that they hold is the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven, which makes anyone that's learned from Jesus owners of the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven. That's not just them now or them then. That's us now here at Gospel Saving Church. As I, as I already alluded to, you may be asking how. Well, if you've been learning with me for all these weeks, maybe you're new here today or you're new listening online on SoundCloud or YouTube, you may be thinking, well, how am I a holder, you know, a, a householder of the, of, the king, of the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven? Well, you go back a little bit or, or learn from Jesus from the New Testament, Matthew chapter 13, and you can be one too. But we also here at this church are householders of the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven, of the kingdom of heaven because we've been taught by Jesus Christ for this last X amount of weeks. We right here in this church have been learning right from Jesus Christ exactly what the kingdom of heaven means. You guys remember those things that we talked about. You are now a householder as well as these disciples of the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven. I think that's pretty cool. I think that's pretty cool because that's an honor. Actually, really, that's an honor that Jesus would now make us the householder, the, the master of the house, the, the, the owner of the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus also tells them, but you can say as well us, that we are supposed to bring out of our treasure both things new and old. Notice he calls that wisdom of the kingdom of heaven a treasure. It's absolutely a treasure. Why would he call it a treasure? Why would he call the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven a treasure? Because this is the most precious treasure that anybody could have on the face of the planet. Okay? Now we can instruct people how to get to heaven. Now we can instruct people how they're supposed to get there. What they must do. Almost like a map. We'll get to that in a second. So this knowledge that God has made us a householder of, of the kingdom of heaven, is so precious and so powerful because it's such a valuable roadmap. Heaven is such an innumerable place. God's face, being with God, is such an amazing thing to be with Him. And He's made you and me and the disciples householders of that precious and special knowledge of the kingdom of heaven. It also reminds me of something that Jesus told Peter in Matthew 16, 19. Jesus speaking to Peter and also us, you could say us too if you study this section of scripture, he says to him, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So ask yourself, think about the scripture. We have the, king, we have the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven. But now Jesus says he's given us the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Well, what could the key to the kingdom of heaven be? I believe that it's Jesus Christ, none other than Jesus Christ himself. He is the key to the kingdom of heaven. Why would I say that? Why would Jesus Christ be the key to the kingdom of heaven? Well, John 14, 6, Jesus himself says, For I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, so we have to go through Jesus to go into heaven. So Jesus is like the gate. Jesus is like the key, the gate. You have to go through him in order to get to heaven. So now not only do we have the wisdom and knowledge, we're householders of the wisdom of the kingdom of heaven, but we're also householders of the key that helps people get in to heaven. Because after all, if you're traveling on a road trip and you're like, I'm going to go to this, say, this museum, and you get to this museum and you didn't, weren't diligent enough to look at all the times and days. Well, you know, once you get there, maybe they're, maybe they're closed that day. So what if you can't get in? So you can't just have a road map to get to the place. If you do, that's great. But if you're not diligent to have the key to be able to get in once you get there, having the road map to the place is useless. Look at this concept with me. And look at how these passages, Matthew 13, 52 and Mark 16, 19, both really have the same idea. Think about this. Imagine the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven and the keys are like this. We've been given a road map and the directions to a precious, glorious place. But it's difficult to get to. Okay, So we've got this road map that we've been given by Jesus. 
and it gives us these specific directions. Here's how you do this, and you make a left here, and you make a right here, and you go straight here. And then, and then by the way, when you get there, you know, the doors are going to be locked because that's kind of how this place is. It's really hard to get to, and it's kind of hard to get into. So here's this key, which I said earlier, is Jesus Christ. And this is how you get into those gates. This is how you get in to that place once you arrive there. So we, or you, or whoever you are, if you're a true follower of Christ, you're like someone with a special roadmap and directions to heaven. And both of the, but, but you see, God's given us these things. And praise God that he has. And they're so special. That means because nobody's going to lead somebody else into heaven unless they're going in themselves, unless they have the key. Notice he says he gives us the keys to the kingdom of heaven, right? So we have the key. We're getting in. Now, what's our duty, Christian? What's our duty, follower of Christ? This wisdom, this knowledge with this roadmap and these keys, they come with a price, God says. This knowledge of these keys and this roadmap come with the price from God. The Bible says that we now have an ab obligation to tell others about the kingdom of heaven with the directions to get there because the owner of the place really wants everybody to come. The owner of the place, Scripture talks about, Je Jesus gave a parable about the end, and he said, you know, go out and go out into the highways and byways and tell everybody you can, come on in, come to the wedding feast of the Lord. Come, come, the Bible says, come. So the owner of the house has given us these keys, Christian. He's given us this roadmap, Christian. And now he says, now I want you to go pass that stuff on. I want you to go make duplicates of that key. I want you to go to that photo, photocopier and I want you to photocopy off a million copies of that roadmap. And I want you to go and give the key and the roadmap to people wherever you go. Because I want everybody to come here. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, born again, then you really, whether you know this or not, because you're going to learn it today if you didn't know it, you're really a servant of God. God has chosen you to be a servant to God and Christ. The Word of God says that He saved you for a purpose. He saved you for pur a purpose. And there's actually many of them. But one of them, 1 Corinthians 6.20, listen to this. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's just saying, you know, we can't work to get to heaven. There's no good duty, there's no good work that we can do in order to make God happy enough to get to heaven. But listen to verse 10. For we are His workmanship. That means God's creating those that are coming to Him. or His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. One of God's purposes for you, Christian, is to spread the, king, the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven and give people that key, which is Jesus Christ, to open up its gates. Jesus is telling you that you have the most valuable and precious roadmap and directions in all of creation. You have been given this gift. Now God says, take this gift that I've given you and pass it on. So please, Christians, listen to me. Please listen to God. Don't take your responsibility of doing this lightly. Because God absolutely does not. And if you think that God takes spreading the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven and his son, Christ Jesus, lightly, look to these next couple verses in this next section of scripture and see how God took spreading of this word if he took it lightly. Verse 53. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. And when he had come to his own country, which would be Nazareth, he taught them in their synagogue. Wow. So here's our scene. 
we've gotten away from that scene for a little bit because we were focusing so much on the kingdom of heaven is like parables. But here's our scene change again. Jesus was inside the house with his disciples. And he was teaching his disciples and he were talking, they were talking about the kingdom of heaven and so on and so forth. And he was tutoring them up, exactly the same tutoring that we got here. Okay. Now they leave from that house and they go out from there and he goes to his own country, Nazareth, and he goes into a synagogue and he starts teaching people. Well, now I'm getting there. God doesn't take this business of spreading his kingdom and Jesus Christ lightly. And we see that by Jesus. How do we see that here? Well, what do you think Jesus was teaching people about when he went into that synagogue? Real slowly here, just, let's just think about it. Maybe, maybe it was the weather. Maybe Jesus went all that way and he went into that synagogue and, hey man, what, isn't it a beautiful day out there? Look at that weather out there. Hmm. No, no, well, it could have been football. Oh my gosh, maybe he went in there and he started telling them about football. Hey, hey man, did you see the game last Sunday? Wow, it was amazing. Did you see it? Wow, the, look at that team. They won, they, they crushed. Maybe it could have even been cooking. Man, have you had those noodles lately, man? Oh my gosh. Wow, that was an amazing meal. This awesome food my wife made me last yesterday, it was amazing. Dude, she's such a great cook. And maybe, just maybe, he went in there to talk to him about a good movie. Hey, did you see that movie the other day? Wow, man, that movie was amazing. It made me laugh so much. And I only have one thing to say to that. It's my famous thing. All four of those things, I have one thing to say about those things. <clears throat> Absolutely 1,000% not. Jesus did not walk into a synagogue he, uh, he, he did not walk into a synagogue to talk about weather or football or cooking or a good movie. He walked into a synagogue, folks, not a bar. Those things are things that you talk about at a bar. Those things are the things that you talk around, about around your water cooler at work. That is not the things that you go to a synagogue to talk about. Okay? A synagogue, in case you didn't know, is another word for, it would be a, a modern day synagogue for us Christians is a church, a Christian church. What they did there, they worshiped the Lord there. They fellowshiped with one another there. They heard teaching there. That's, that's a modern-day Christian church. He went into a synagogue a modern, like a modern-day Christian church, and he taught them. So what are some things that should be you know, talked about in a Christian church? What should the things be talked about that's in a Christian church? What are they? Things of God, things of heaven, etc. things about getting us there. Those are the things you should be talking about in a Christian church. Those are the things that you should be talking about in a synagogue. So, of course, Jesus was teaching them about spiritual matters. And he had been doing so, believe it or not, from his youth. Jesus just didn't start this now when he was 12 years old. In Luke 2, it talks about when he's 12 years old, his parents went up to Jerusalem to have this great feast of the Passover. And as they were there, they were, doing, they were doing their duty. They were sacrificing unto the Lord, and they were there for the Passover. Jesus was 12 years old. And so anyway, as it goes on, they, the caravan leaves. They came in a caravan, and they left in a caravan. So the time was the Passover was over. Now it's time to go back home. So as they get up, they get to go back home from Jerusalem. They get back in their caravan like you get back in your car, and they started to drive off. Well, sometime later, Mary and Joseph are like, wait a minute. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Where is he? And they're looking around for him. They're looking around. Where did he go? Oh, my gosh. We can't find him. They go all the way back to Jerusalem, and they're seeking around, and they're looking for Jesus, and they're like, oh, my gosh, where's Jesus? They finally find him. Guess where? They found him with some religious leaders, Luke 2, 49. Jesus at 12 says to his mom and dad, they said, Jesus, where have you been? We've been looking all over for you. You didn't come along with us. Where have you been? He says to them in Luke 2, 49, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? 12 years old. Jesus did not want to go back with his family, back to his home. He wanted to stay in the temple. He wanted to stay with religious leaders, and he wanted to teach and learn about the kingdom of God. And he wanted to talk with the religious leaders and those that were more spiritual in the flesh than he was at that point. And he wanted to learn things about God at 12 years old. He was about his father's business. And what is God's business? 
What is God the Father's business? Well, lots of things, but just to name a few, heaven, eternity, getting us there. In case you don't remember, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's will, God's one of God's desires is that nobody goes to hell. So God's business is eternity. Heaven, the things of God, our, our perfection, our worship, are getting us there. Look at 2 Peter 3.15, even his patience, believe it or not. You think, well, God's too patient. If I were God, I would have thrown a lightning bolt on that guy because he's not living for God. Well, even God's patience is for salvation. 2 Peter 3.15, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord, long-suffering is another fancy word for patience, Consider that the patience or the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. So now, like I said, like I'm going to allude back to what I just said about the knowledge, the householder of the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven and the knowledge of the key, which is Jesus Christ. If God and Jesus Christ are that concerned with the things of heaven and eternity and getting us there, then guess what, guys? He wants us to be concerned with that too. He wants us to be concerned with those same things too. 1 John 2, 6, the Apostle John writes to believers, he says, he who says he abides in him, which means that, you know, I'm tight with Jesus, he's, he's mine and I'm his. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as Jesus walked. So God is concerned with those things of heaven. 1 John saying, we ought to be concerned about those things of Jesus and God as well. And you can also add that we should also be concerned with acting like him, the Bible says. We should also be concerned with the fact that we, we want to think like him, act like him, think like him, share the gospel with like he did. We all got to be patterning our lives, what the Bible says a real Christian is, someone that patterns their life after the life of Jesus Christ, saying, thinking, and doing the things that Jesus did capping off Christian according to God's word here you and me and anybody that's a real believer are the keepers of the household of the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven which remember God in Matthew 13 52 said that that was a treasure and in Matthew 16 19 you are also the keeper of the keys of heaven or what the knowledge of Jesus Christ and he says here, look here in case you miss this little fact, go back to 52 for a second. He says here that we're supposed to bring out of that treasure, which is the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven, both new and old. When you're talking about bringing stuff out that's both new and old, what does it mean to bring out? It means not to hide. If you're supposed to bring out of that knowledge, that treasure, things both new and old, that means tell, that means get them out. Don't keep them hidden. Don't keep putting them underneath a blanket. I let them out. Bring out of them. Tell others. Give your roadmap. Give your keys to other people. Let them see. Let them know how to get to heaven. Let them know. Now, will it be easy? You may be thinking, well, Pastor Ed, I know you're an evangelist and I, you, you go all over the place and I know, you know, it must be certainly easy for you, Pastor Ed, because after all, you've been sharing Christ on the streets and so on and so forth for 14, 15 years. It'll be easy. Well, I can tell you right now, it's not easy even for me to get out there and do that because guess what? It's not easy. Look at how easy it was for Jesus Start in verse 54 after the word synagogue. Let's see how easy it was for Jesus to go forth and tell others about himself and give the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven to others. It says here, he taught them in their own synagogue so that they were astonished at him and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, and Simon and Judas and his sisters, are they not all here with us? Where then did this man get all these things? Look here, verse 57, if you're reading along. So they were offended at him. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, you mean, because that didn't sound like it was easy for Jesus to go evangelize either. 
Look at what they did to him in case you didn't notice, in case you aren't, aren't up on, you know, the little cues of the Bible. They totally disrespected him. They totally, totally, totally did not give him the respect of who he was. What they really said, translation 2014, you know, regular English like we speak today, our, our little American English that we speak today. Who is this? We know this dude. We grew up with him. Who is this? This is just, this is just our, our friend and our relative that grew up with us. We know his mom and, his, and his, all, the, all his relatives, his close family members. He's just a man just like us. Where did he get? How, how is he doing all these supernatural miracles? And how is he teaching us these supernatural teachings? He's just a man just like us. Think of somebody famous in your mind right now. Think of somebody famous. The most famous person in the world that you can think of right now. Where like not only you know about him, but I mean think of somebody so famous that no matter where he went, everybody would know who he is. Now think of him walking, in, walking into a, a, you know, a place where they ought to be known. Like uh, for instance, his hometown where he grew up. And then when he got there, Think of the people there going, really? I mean, we grew up with this guy. He's just, a, he's a nobody, just like us. When you know, and you're like, wait, wait a minute. This dude's the president, or this guy's the, this guy's the CEO of this company. This guy's this guy. This huge, huge guy. How could they not know who this guy is? Well, that's exactly what they did to Jesus here. They said, who is this? Well, he's just a man, just like us. He's doing all these supernatural things, but, ah. And they were offended with him in verse 57. That means when you're offended with somebody, that means you're not receiving what they had to say. That means you're not receiving what they just told you. But you think to yourself, he did all these miracles. He did all these wonders. He did all these supernatural things. And he, he taught, and oh my gosh, I mean, he had the wisdom of heavens in him. When he opened his mouth, it's like God spoke. I mean, the people were amazed. It says they were astonished at what he taught. But yet... They were offended at him. So what did they do? They rejected him. So is it going to be easy to go forth and give people the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven and the knowledge of the keys to get in, which is Jesus? Absolutely not. It was hard for Jesus. It's going to be hard for you, follower of Christ. It's going to be hard for me. It was hard for him. It was hard for the disciples. People rejected the disciples. A great apostle Paul, people rejected him all the time, stoned him, threw him out of their city, and all he was was giving people the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven and giving them the keys to get in there. We went out yesterday and had people get offended yesterday. We were going out inviting people to church. and We were just talking about spiritual matters. And boy, we had people that were, they get all hot when you start talking about you know, salvation and the kingdom of heaven. Why do you get so upset? Why do you get so upset? We just want to see you get to heaven. We just want to see you walk with God. Why do you get so mad at me? I'm not trying to steal from you. I'm not taking things out of your house. I'm not asking you for $1,000. I'm asking you, are you walking with God? Here's what the Bible says. Are you walking with God? And boy, oh boy, oh boy. Very few received. Very few received. Just like Jesus. Very few received him. And look at Jesus' response. End of 57. He says to them, but Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Translation, I'm from here. These people know who I am and they don't even want nothing to do with me. I've got less respect here among the people that I grew up with than I do, than I would have in Europe, you know, per se. He didn't say that, but you could say that. I've had less respect here. People I grew up with, people that know me. I love these people. These people are my close relatives. So he expected it. If he expected it, folks, then so should we. Remember his teaching in Matthew 10, 16 through 25. I'll read it to you really quick. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's getting them ready to go out. He's getting them ready to go out there and become preachers like he's been a preacher. He's getting them ready. And he says to them, to his disciples, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Well, that's not a good analogy. What do wolves do? Wolves eat sheep. And he told them that right off the bat. I'm going to send you out there. You're going to get eaten up. 
that ain't very, that's not a very good thing to tell people that you're trying to motivate to go. I'm going to send you out as wolves in the, or sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men. Here now he tells them what's, what might happen to them. For they will deliver you up to the councils and scourge you, which means beat you in their synagogues. You will be uh, brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up. So there's a guarantee. He's telling them, you're guaranteed you're going to suffer for going out and telling people about me. But when they deliver you up, don't worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour that you should speak. For it is not for you, you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death. And father is children, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For surely I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. Now listen to what he says about himself, telling them right off the bat, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, which is me, I'm the master of the house. Notice Jesus called this his house, because the, the earth is God's and all that dwell in it. So he says, if they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, they're calling me Satan, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. So Jesus pretty much promised them, hey, look at how they're treating me. Look at how they've rejected me. Look at what they've said to me. Look at the evil that these people have thought of me and how evil they think I am. And you, do you really think, followers of mine, that you're going to get off any easier than me? You're my believers. You're my followers. You're the ones that are going to go tell those same people about me or other people about me. You're going to face the same things that I faced. You're going to go through the same things that I went through. So, Christian, expect people not to be receptive and not to be welcome to the information that you bring about Jesus Christ and the keys to the kingdom of heaven. It, isn't that amazing? You think, wow, isn't that what people want? Well, no. Unbelievably, no. So, persecution, scorn, dislike, people hating you, maybe people even killing you, that will happen if you go spread the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven and giving people the keys to the kingdom of heaven. But you may say, wait a minute, that's, that's more than I signed up for, Pastor Ed. I don't, I don't know, I didn't sign up for that. Well, that's, now you know. It's, it's, that is, it is what it is, now you know. It doesn't change the fact that God has put that knowledge in your hands. He's given you that wisdom and that knowledge of the keys to the kingdom of heaven and the roadmap to help people get there. He's given you those keys. He's given you that roadmap. That roadmap and those keys come with responsibility, Christians. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Bring out of your treasures both new and old. Get that stuff into people's hands. He has required it of us to give that information of heaven in Christ to people because he wants them to get there. Whether they want to or not, that's on their own head. But God requires us to go tell them about his son and about the wonderful place of the kingdom of heaven. Does it mean they'll receive it? Unfortunately not. Does it mean that they'll welcome it with open arms? Because, I mean, there's no greater gift. If you went up to somebody and you said, man, I got a great gift for you. Oh my gosh, you're not even going to believe I'm going to give you this awesome gift. Man, they'd be like, oh, I'm ready, what is it? And boy, if you pulled out a $100 bill, whoo boy, you, you probably never seen nobody jump higher in your life. And what's $100? It's paper slash cloth. But by golly, if you open your mind and say, man, I got Jesus Christ for you. Boy, they put down their eyes, they put down their face, and they walk away from you straight flat. Like nothing. And Jesus, the key, and the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven are the greatest gift and the greatest treasure and the greatest roadmap and the greatest key that you could ever give somebody in this life, this side of eternity, and anything that you could give them. 
Unbelievable. Unbelievable. As they rejected Jesus Christ in the scripture we're reading today, they're going to reject you that try to tell others about him. So you can expect it. But sadly, as we see here, we got one more verse left. Sadly, rejection of Jesus Christ and rejection of us that tell him about him has consequences. Let's read verse 58 and let's look at those consequences sadly. Now he did not do many works, many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So because they rejected what he brought them, he couldn't do many mighty works there amongst those people. Sin has consequences. What kind of unbelief are we talking about here? I've heard a different couple, you know, I've heard some things about this, you know, just it's unbelief in general. But if you look specifically, I'm going to read uh, 55 and 56 because we get a specific what kind of unbelief it was. Look at what they said again. 55 is it's not the carpenter's son. It's not his mother called Mary. His brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters, are they not all here with us? Where did this man, notice they reference him as this man, where did this man get all these things? What was their unbelief concerning? Their unbelief was concerning who Jesus Christ said he was. That was their unbelief. And that is why they could, he could not do many mighty works amongst these people. You see, his power to heal and do miracles was at times hindered, as, as, and, to, to, and the power to heal and do miracles, as well as our power to do those things that God gave us because of people's rejection of Jesus Christ and who he said that he is. You see, the rejection of Jesus Christ is a great sin. It's a great sin. It's, it's one of the greatest sins that you can commit, actually. And sin has consequences. There's this little thing of a law we have, and we know it in our world today. It's called the, the law of cause and effect. If you do something, it has an effect. If you say something, it has an effect. If you go out there and you talk a whole bunch of stuff and you talk about how maybe you're going to kill somebody or you're going to hurt somebody, it's going to get around, you're going to get in trouble. Cause and effect. If you speed, one day you're going to get a ticket. Cause and effect. If you go out and you waste all your money and then you don't got no money for your bills, you're not going to be able to pay your bills or they're going to throw you out or you're going to have to file bankruptcy. Cause and effect. Sin is something that you do, and there's always an effect on that sin that you commit. Just like Jesus, like these people here with Jesus. Their sin was their rejection of who he was. Their rejection of believing who he was. Where did this man get all those things? They refused to believe who Jesus Christ was. In closing, are you rejecting Jesus Christ today. I must start off with that first. Believers, you're not getting off easy. But if you are rejecting Jesus Christ today, I want to speak to you first of all. Are you rejecting Him today like these in this section of Scripture that we just read about? There are eternal consequences to the rejection of Jesus Christ but before you answer, before you think in your mind, well, no, I'm not, or well, well maybe I am, or before you, before you answer, uh, there's actually many ways in which to reject Jesus Christ. It's not just not believing who he is, because we see that here. They were rejecting him, and they, they, just, they didn't like say, get out of our town. That, that, that's the way I would maybe consider rejection. Their rejection of him was just to refuse to believe of him as who he said that he was. So there's actually many ways to reject Jesus. I'm going to go over three of them. Let's start this. Maybe you just don't want anything to do with Jesus. Maybe you just don't have time for Jesus. Maybe it's just, you know, Pastor Ed, I'm just busy. I just got too much to do. I just, I don't have time for him right now. I just, you know what, I, I'll get to him later. Well, Jesus said that you're either for me or you're against me. You either gather for, gather for me or you scatter abroad. So you're either with him 
or you're against him. And there's no middle ground. There's no in between. That's a rejecting Jesus. Just not having anything to do with him. Because Jesus, out of his own words and his own mouth, said, you're either for me or you're against me. There's no middle ground, guys. We either have time for Jesus or we don't have time for Jesus. Either way, that's one way in which we can reject him. Maybe you just don't believe in him like these people here. Maybe you just don't believe. I just, you know, I don't believe in Jesus. He, you know, I, you know, he's a guy, he's, there's some good stories in the Bible, but I, I just don't believe in him. Well, to you, I would say, you know, you could be an atheist or you could be an agnostic if you just don't believe in him. I used to be an atheist slash agnostic. I used to not believe in God or even if he was there, I couldn't care less. Ah, whatever, I, I got to live my life for, for me, you know, I got my things to do and I, I ain't got, I don't have, I don't want anything to do with God even if he's there. Well, that's rejecting Jesus as well too, okay? And I promise you, he loves you very much. And if you seek him and you just start asking him, Lord, I just, are you really real like that pastor said? Or are you really there? I, I just, I, you know, I want to know. You know, I want to know, but I'm just not sure, you know. So, God, if you're there, you know, and you're hearing this prayer, can you please reveal yourself to me like you did that, Pastor? Because that's all I started doing. I started asking God if he was real. I started reaching out for God. I started inquiring of God and, and the Lord Jesus, and he revealed himself to me in a mighty way because he's almighty God, and he can do things like that. So if you're there, unfortunately, that's rejecting Jesus too. But there's hope because you can reach out, and he's there. Well, unfortunately, we have one more common in America that maybe people wouldn't even think, well, that's, re that's not rejecting Jesus, but yeah, absolutely it is. Because you're also rejecting Jesus if you choose not to make him the Lord of your life. If you choose to just know about him and know of him, but you never surrender the control of your life unto him, if you never purpose in your own heart and say, no, I'm tired of living for me. Look at what I've done with my life. And I can testify that in the 25 years before I came to, new, came to know Christ, I ruined my life. Oh, I was wealthy. I had a lot of awesome, nice things. We were doing really good financially. You know, I had a lot of, you know, nice cars and things like that. But I was empty. I just didn't have time for Jesus, and he definitely wasn't the Lord of my life. Maybe you just, you know, I know of him. You know, I grew up in church. Uh, you know, I, I know, and I've, you know, I've read the Bible once. Uh, you know, I, yeah, I know, but, you know, yeah, do I, do I live for Jesus? No, not really. I just I live for me. Well, the Bible also says that that's rejecting Jesus. Because, again, you're either for him or you're against him. And if you're living for you, the Bible says, if you're living for the things that you want and you live for you and you, you know, you have an idea, a knowledge of God and maybe, you know, you were really close with him at one time, but now it's years later and you've walked away or, you know, wherever the case may be, but you're not close anymore. And the Bible says that you're rejecting God because Jesus says, all those that desire to come up after me must deny themselves pick up their crosses, and follow after me. Are you following Jesus? Or are you passing him walking the other way? Or are you seeing him from a distance? Oh, yeah, there he is. Oh, he's, he's a wonderful guy. The Bible says that we need to be following Jesus, making a decision in our lives to make him, to give him the control of our lives so that he can be our Lord. God just doesn't want to be your Savior he wants to be your Lord, to control you, to run you, because you're ruining your life right now if he's not your Lord. God knows the way to run your life better than you know the way to run your life. And he'll lead you in that way if you only give him that. If any of these describe you, you are rejecting Jesus willfully. You're rejecting him outwardly. You're rejecting him. Oh, now, why is that not a smart thing to do? Number one, the love that he shed for you. We had communion earlier today and we talked about that. Christ came to this filthy, sin-ridden planet. 
And he knew what kind of person that you were. He knew the evil person that I was. He knew the evil peace person that I would be because obviously I didn't live in the same time Jesus did. But he knew what kind of evil person that I would be. And ask yourself, would you die for somebody, that, the worst evil person in the world that you know of, killed 25 people and did all these evil things? I say no. But not Jesus. Not the Lord God. He knew and he knows how evil that you are to this very day. He knows that whether you live for him or whether you don't live for him. He knew then whether you'd live for him right now this very moment in 2014 or whether you wouldn't live for him this very moment in 2014. And knowing that and knowing that you live, maybe right now you live a rejecting lifestyle toward Jesus. He knew that then and he still laid down his life and died a brutal death on the cross for your sins. He still went and did that. Whether or not you accept or continue to reject him until the day you die, that sacrifice was made for you, even though the Bible says that we're not worthy. Even though we're not worthy. God still made that sacrifice for us. Christ Jesus gave up his life so that you could have fellowship with him and the Father. And he did that for you while you were yet in your sin and walk in a reprobate lifestyle away and departed from God. And he did that for you. And God's will for you is that you surrender your life to Jesus and stop fooling around living for yourself and turn to him right now today. Fall on your knees and cry out to him and apologize for the sinful life that you've lived. And ask him to change you. Jesus, I need you. That's all I did 15 years ago. Jesus, I need you. I can't live this way anymore. Take my life. Because he doesn't want you to walk around and reject him anymore. He died so that you could come to have fellowship with him and the Father. Not that you could be separated. Not so that you could be miserable. That's not God's plan for your life. And it's not God's plan for your eternity. God loves you so much, and he just wants you to turn to him and not reject him anymore. It's his will that none should perish, remember, and that all should come to repentance. All should come to, God, I'm wicked, I'm evil, Jesus, I need you, please take me, I don't want to live for me anymore, here I am. That's God's plan for every person on the planet. Now, if you're a Christian, and listen to this message, if you're would consider yourself, I'm born again, I'm walking with God, I'm saved, I'm a Christian, praise God, I love Jesus very much. Some challenges for you today. Some challenges from me to you for today. Are you being a faithful householder of God? For God? Remember we talked about we have a great responsibility that God has given us to get these directions of the kingdom of heaven out to people. Are you being faithful and doing your part for God? How much would you say that you love Jesus, Christian? Do you love him enough to face persecution, scorn, even have others reject you for him? Remember what I just talked about, what he did for us. We can never forget what Christ did for us until the day we die. Whether we've accepted his sacrifice and live a lifestyle that honors him or whether we're in the midst of rejecting him, we can never forget what Christ did for us on that cross. Is he not Christian? Is he not worth whatever happens to you to share him and his love and truth with others? Or are you ashamed of him? If you're falling short in this category and you're like, you know what, I... I I'm scared to evangelize, Pastor Ed. Well, great, welcome aboard, so am I. But if you just refuse to share those keys of the kingdom, if you're just refusing to give people the directions to heaven, I just want to let you know this. If you're not being a faithful householder of the wisdom of the kingdom of heaven for God and the key, which is Jesus Christ, I want to let you know this. The heart of the definition of sin in the Greek concordance 
Strong's Concordance, is falling short of obeying what God says for you to do. Listen to it again. The heart of sin is falling short, which means not living up to what God wants for you, falling short of what God says that you should be doing. And if you read your New Testament, Christ tells you over and over and over and over and over, right even like it is here, bring out of your treasure both new and old, go out and tell people, the New Testament is full of Jesus Christ telling his followers to preach the gospel, to preach the kingdom of heaven to all humanity. So today, know what that means if you say I'm falling short and I'm not doing what God says in that category of my life. If you're not living a lifestyle, sharing Christ with others and giving others those directions that God wants you to give him for the kingdom of heaven, then in God's eyes, God's eyes you're committing sin because you're falling short and I'm not doing what God told me to do. I'm not sharing Jesus with other people on a regular basis. Please pray. I'm going to pray for us all at the end, but Christian in specific. Please pray and ask God to forgive you of this sin and repent of it. That means to start being a faithful householder and start sharing the precious directions to the kingdom of heaven and Jesus Christ with others, the key. So wherever you're at, God's spoken to you today. Wherever you're at, whether you're rejecting or whether you're walking and you're falling short in that area of your life for sharing the gospel, God's spoken to you today. God doesn't leave anybody out. He's got it all around for everybody. He wants to sanctify, which means make better those that are His. And He wants to bring you, if you're in a rejecting lifestyle, back to Him. So please think about the words of Christ today. They're very powerful. He loves you very much. But we're saved, or if you're saved, you're saved for a price. And if you're not, and if you're rejecting him, he wants you to get right with him right now. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you so much, Lord God, for this precious, precious word that you gave us, Lord. And thank you so much, Lord, for the gift of the kingdom of heaven and, and the key, which is Jesus Christ, that you've given to all mankind. Lord, the presents are under the tree. We just have to go receive it and put down our pride and go take that gift and open it up and start using it. But you've given the gift. All we have to do is receive it and use it. Lord, I pray for those that may be listening that are living a rejecting lifestyle right now, Lord Jesus. I just pray that you would prick their hearts right now and that they will cry out to you with all their hearts and apologize of the sin that they've been committing of rejecting you by their lifestyle. I just pray, Lord God, right now that they would turn to you, they would surrender to you, they would surrender their lives to you and stop fooling around. Because, Lord, you know, the Bible says the faithful saying, Lord, you know those that are yours. So, Lord, if you know those that are yours, you also know those that aren't yours. So, Lord, I just pray, please, Reach out to those that are listening right now and touch them by your Holy Spirit. Show them the error of their life. Show them the error of where they're at right now. And I pray, God, that they would turn to you with all their hearts and surrender to you and stop living for themselves and making themselves their own, God, but start living for you, denying themselves, picking up their crosses and following after you daily. Draw them to you, Lord God. Draw them to you and save them. And Lord, please, for those listening that are yours and are your children, Lord God, that are lazy in the respect of the important roadmap and the directions to the kingdom of heaven that they've been getting and the giving out and making copies of those keys that, to help us get there, Lord. Lord, I pray, God in heaven, that you would chasten them. Lord, your word says that if we're chastened, then, then you are our Father, and you are chastening the one that is yours, reprimanding them. Lord, I pray that they would take the chastisement and they would learn and they would repent of that sin that they're committing. And get out there, Lord God, and make a habit out of letting people know who you are. Even if it's just by the way that they live their lives in society. And then just always having you in their verbiage, Lord. Carrying their Bibles around, Lord. Carrying a track and 
getting on a track as they go about their lives whenever they you give them opportunity, Lord. Always being ready, Lord. I pray that you would prick the hearts of the Christians that are listening to, Lord, and that they would get off their lazy butts, Lord. I hate to say that that way, but Lord, it's the truth, Lord. That they would get off their lazy butts, Lord God, and start telling people and start fulfilling the commandment, go ye therefore in all earth and preach the gospel to every creature. Lord, it's, there's so many of them, Lord, I can't even speak them all. We're out of time, but Lord, I pray that they would stop being lazy and that they get out there and start sharing you with others and giving people the precious directions to heaven that they've been given. I love you and praise you and thank you, dear God. And I ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.